0: If you have your Bibles, though, right now, let's turn to Second Peter. Uh, here we are. Uh, last, last week, we started looking at the, the, the final words of, of, of Peter's letter here. Uh, he has just a, a reminder, again, of what's going on. He's reminded the people of what God has done. Uh, he's reminded them of what God is going to do, and in both those cases told them how to respond to that. Okay, if God has done this for you in chapter 1, if he's gifted you with this great salvation, gifted you with this great grace, all of that, this is how you respond to that. And the same thing, you know, lives of holiness and Godwardness, and then the same thing, if the Lord is, is, has promised to do this, promise of new heavens and new earth, how do you respond to that? Live lives that are spotless and without blemish, lives that are at peace, strive after that, now though here we are at at the end. And and it's really I, I, I just in, in all the the letters that I've preached through and all the passages this is a really like heavy end here. And this is the end of of Peter's letter, the end of second Peter. I mean we've gone through first Peter, second Peter now it's been I think like 2 years, almost 3 years that we've walked through these two letters, but even more than that. This is this is the end of Peter's life. This is the last thing that we have recorded From the lips of the apostle Peter, that guy that we know so well that some of us are like, man, if there's any disciple that I feel like it's Peter, right? Well, here is the last thing of all the things he said all the times he's put his foot in his mouth and everything else. Here's the last thing from this uh, man. So how do you wrap up this letter and how do you, I mean, how, how is God going to wrap up Peter, right? Peter, the story of Peter. Uh, and it's it's uh, verse 18 Uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word we'll just read the last part of verse 18 uh, and then we'll pray but these last words to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen father we pray that you and your son Christ would be glorified both now and to the day of eternity. Let it be, Father, and let it be in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so how, I mean, how do you sum up the life of Peter here? And it's, I mean, a great, and we said, like, if, if there could be any way that you could have God write the last things, the last words for, for your own life, it would be that give glory to Jesus. Yeah, give him glory, both now and to the day of eternity. The idea of giving glory, of giving glory to God, it is not something new. We know as Christians, we know that's our job. We know that's what this. Is. I mean, we. I mean, sometimes we don't. As Baptists, we're not big into creeds and confessions. Sometimes, but almost everybody knows the Westminster Shorter Confession when it says, "What is the chief end of man?" We know the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right, We know that it is our job to do that. And we saw last week that that statement is true, especially for Christians, that, that that's the purpose of our salvation, that God saved us so that we might glorify him. You know, the, the Bible is less concerned with the questions we always ask, questions like, why doesn't God save everyone? But the Bible is concerned with the question of, why in the world did he, did he save anyone? And the answer the Bible gives is that they might give him glory. Why am I saved, God? What's my purpose? To glorify me. That's your job. And your job is the same as the person that's sitting next to you on your pew, the same as the person behind you, the the same as anyone in this room, and truthfully, the same as anyone on this earth. Your job is to glorify your God. But what is glory? Glory. And what does it look like? Because we, we, we can talk about that our, our job is to glorify the Lord. But like we said, if I were to ask you, how do you do that? What does that mean that your chief end is to give glory to God? I could probably get quite a few different answers of how that's done. Everything from, well, coming to church on Sundays to a very detailed life of every aspect of your life. I know whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I need to do it all to the glory of God. So, I mean, we could have all sorts of answers as to as to what it means to give glory to the Lord. So we didn't want to just come to you guys for the answers. I didn't put out a poll. Right. I didn't say everyone get on Facebook. I want to find out what you guys think it is to glorify the Lord. And then I'll make sure that my sermon says that uh, so that everyone goes, man, that was a really good sermon. Uh, He was spot on today uh we went to the bible uh luckily the bible does tell us uh god who also who tells us it is your job to glorify me also tells us and this is what that looks like uh this is how you do that and so we turn to psalm 96 you you can turn there now because we're gonna be there in just a second because we didn't get all the way through it last week We turn to Psalm 96 to see what glory means, and we saw that just the words for glory, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, carry with them the idea that to give glory to something is to say that something has great value, but not just monetary value, but that that it has great honor with it, that it is, remember, the, the Hebrew word is that it is weighty. Right? That it is a a heavy thing, or something majestic about that thing. Uh, And so uh, that that's our job is to give that sort of glory to the Lord, to treat the Lord as something someone with of high value, that there's honor above above anything else. And so we looked at Psalm 96. Now, why Psalm 96? Because if you remember, there are a set of verses in Psalm 96, specifically verses 7 through 9. There are a set of verses there that lay out for us what it means to glorify the Lord. And these set of verses are also repeated almost verbatim uh, in a couple of other passages in the Old Testament. Uh, they're, they're repeated in Psalm 29. They're repeated in 1 in, in Chronicles. Uh, that, that This idea of giving glory to the Lord is something captured in these words in Psalm 96. So uh, we, we saw... Last week, uh, that uh, when it comes to glory and and glorifying the Lord, that it is a worldwide call to glorify the Lord. We saw that it is the job of of everyone. It's what, if you look at verse 7 there, uh, it's what all the families of the earth are supposed to do. We saw that to glorify the Lord is to praise God for who he is and what he has done. So as we're working through, what does it mean to glorify God? Well, one, giving glory to God is something everyone's supposed to do. Giving glory to God in, involves praising him for what, who he is and also praising him for what he has done. And then we saw that giving God glory is often a response to his great strength Strength that he works on behalf of uh, his people and against uh, evil. You know, and that uh, that picture of, uh, of of slaying the dragon and saving saving the princess that uh, that idea is 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 what's behind that. That that's what God does. But that's not the end. Of Psalm ninety six. So it wasn't the end. I mean, it was the end of our sermon because we ran out of time. But uh, there's there's more that he's got to say. So uh, let's uh, read Psalm one ninety six. We'll begin in verse one. And then we'll go down through verse 9. Okay, Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1, we'll go down to verse 9. We'll read it all as a whole. You've gotten some of this, but we'll continue to walk through uh, the rest. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people's. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory Do his name. Bring an offering. And come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So we've worked through verse 7 so far. Now we're down into verse 8. Look at what it says there. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So when it comes to, what does it mean to glorify God? Glorifying God, giving God glory is just giving him what he is due. Glory is due to the Lord. I mean, you can can manufacture glory. You can make up, pretend glory. You can pretend like something not glorious is in fact glorious. The world is always doing it. The world is always praising things that are really praiseless. The world is always lifting up things that really they should be hiding in their closets, uh, but instead they're praising them to take, for example, I mean, there are people people around the world that worship Allah. Allah is fake, he's not real at best he's demonic, certainly not something worthy of praise. there are people there're Buddhists who give their life to the Buddha, uh, as if that is a praiseworthy thing there are I mean just in the United states there are Praises, uh, I mean, for the pursuit of wealth at the expense of everything else, expense of family and relationships. I mean, you just got to get that money. We're a nation that uh, takes pride uh, in things like homosexual desires, right? That's something to be proud of. It's a, we're a nation that shouts, it's abortions. Where atheists pretend they're the smart ones. I mean, there are people that give glory to very inglorious things. But all of that is just pretend glory. It's all fake glory. I mean, putting lipstick on a pig doesn't mean you should want to kiss it. Although in America, if you did that, you might be considered a cultural hero. All of that glory is not real. It is manufactured glory. It is fake glory. They're giving glory to something, but that thing does not deserve glory. It doesn't deserve praise. It doesn't deserve pride. And you can see this all played out in terms of, take for example, a ruler. Rulers who surround themselves with yes men, with sycophants, or who demand that people worship them think, Like back to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar who said, give me glory. Worship me as if I am God. Give me praise. I mean, the history books are filled with men who decided that what they wanted was glory. And all of them were not very glorious people when you look at their lives. But you had to pretend, right? You had to pretend. You had to play that game or you would die, right? Pretend. But that's not the case with the Lord. So history is filled with people who said, hey, treat me like I'm the best. Give me all this glory. Praise me. And God comes and says, look, glory is actually due to me. The Lord is not asking you to pretend. The Lord is actually, in telling you to give him the glory, he's actually telling you to quit pretending. To not give God the glory is to play pretend. Because we're all giving glory to something in our life. We are, with our lives, treating something as if it is very glorious. We can all look back at our lives. And if you were to get at the end of your life and look back on it, you will see that you have given your life to something. And, 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 And what you give that to, that something must be glorious in order for you to give your life to it. I mean, you can, you can walk through the cemetery and see things that people will say, this, this activity or this hobby or this whatever, that defines this person's life. If our, if our lives are like the Bible says, if, if our lives are really but short breaths, then what you spend that short breath doing Is obviously something pretty important to you. It must be a glorious thing. And you know how I know? Oftentimes that we we are pretending to give things glory that don't deserve our glory. Because if 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 someone were to come and tell us you've got six months to live, how would you change your life? Or you've got six weeks to live, and you're like, well, I'm going to quit doing this and quit doing that and start focusing on this and that. Why? Because that's really not important. I thought I had more time. Uh, We know. In our lives, we're spending them so much on things that are not glorious. The Lord, though, is glorious. And he calls us to to give him his due. He's not asking us to make up things about him. The Lord is just calling us to recognize his glory that is, in fact, all around us. And the glory of the Lord is a singular glory. There, there's meaning there's, there's not a bad, it's not like if you, if you want to give God his glory, it's going to be battling against something else. that's also as glorious. There is nothing in this world as glorious as God, nothing, nothing that deserves your life. Nothing that you can lay down your life for this and not have wasted your life. You can't, I mean, if all of us were to make a list and say, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about that? Anything other than the Lord that you gave your life to would be a waste of your life. A waste. But if you give your life to the Lord, If you lay your life down to him, you're giving it to the one thing in this world that is glorious unlike anything else. And God knows this and he he knows that we know it and he wants us to live like it. So he says in verse 5 of of Psalm 96, there's no competition when it comes to the Lord. Verse 5, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. It's good to know that the word for idol, Literally means worthless thing. It came to be used to describe uh, idols used to worship other gods. So that when you, when you see the word, it's good to, see, when you see the word idol in your Bible, well, most of the time, there's a couple other Hebrew words, most of the time. Uh, when you see the word idol, remember that it just means worthless. Worthless. So to say worthless idols is a bit redundant. There's actually just one word here. But it, the idea is that you're giving yourself, you're giving yourself up to worthless things. The the gods of the peoples are, are, are worthless. And compare what God is saying, give me glory, they have no worth. That's not true for God, though. God is glorious. In fact, God is the God of glory. So Psalm 29, verse 3, the God of glory thunders. In Stephen's speech, in Acts chapter 7, he talks about how in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, the the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. In Psalm 24, God is the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he is the father of glory. Other things might be glorious, but their glory pales in comparison to the one who is the father of that glory. The God who reigns over that glory. The king of glory. And God knows it. In fact, it is a sin. It is an abomination to treat anything else as if it is as glorious as he is. So God says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So glory is not something that we have to create for God. It's something that simply is it's not something that we've got to build up for him it's what he deserves God is God is glorious and so giving him glory is just right it's just it's just it's deserved and we must not give the glory of our lives to anything other than the Lord We must not give the glory that he deserves to anything else. And look at how you've been spending your short life and say, Have I been living in such a way that I am showing that God is the most glorious thing in all of creation? When it comes to my hobbies, when it comes to my activities, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my children, are all of those things done in light of the great glory of God? I don't know if you like to read outside or work outside. I do because my children aren't there not really. Uh, It's because the Lord makes a glorious day, but there's always one problem. If you have a computer screen outside, there's always one problem. And what is it? The sun, right? Anywhere you go, you've got to orient your screen so that the sun doesn't totally blind what you're trying to do. In your life, you can, if God is the most glorious thing, If if he is filling this creation with glory, there is no area of your life where that sun shouldn't be shining down and catching your eye in how you do it. There's no, you can't just do marriage. If God is truly glorious, that's going to be like a sun shining that you can't just ignore when it comes to your marriage. If God is glorious, then you can't just ignore him when it comes to how I raise my children. Because he will be this bright beacon of glory that you can't just pretend isn't there. If God is glorious, he'll be glorious in, in, ev- in how you schedule your time. God will be glorious in how you do your hobbies. God will be glorious in, in, in every time you open your checkbook or every time you get a paycheck. Every situation you're going to look at in the glory of God will, will color that, that activity. And so God is saying with our lives, we are supposed to live our lives, giving him the glory that he is due. So we glorify God by proclaiming that he is worthy of glory. By by proclaiming that he and he alone is worthy of the glory in our lives. That he is the only one that truly deserves the glory of our life. But that's not all that that we see here. Uh, We see next that glory, the glory of God, provokes worship in our hearts. That if God is glorious, we will be spurred, we will be moved, we will be provoked to worship him. So look at at what it says, the end of verse 8 and on into verse 9. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth so so glory is given to god through the act or actions of worship when we see god as glorious when we see his majesty and splendor we will be drawn inexorably to worship him just like we would assume would happen if the ceiling really did open up and god appeared here i don't think any of us would go well i'm kind of busy uh And worship ends in 30 minutes and then I got to go to lunch. Uh, I don't think any of us would do that. Like none of us would be like, let's debate whether or not he's worthy of worship. Uh, We would all do what? We would fall on our faces and worship him, right? That would be pulled from our lips because we have seen the glory of the Lord. Well, when we see God is glorious, we will worship him him i mean the 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 word worship itself assumes glory the 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 word the english word worship comes from the word worthship that something is worth this to worship god is to say that he is he is of great worth at its base level worship is talking about God's glory now you can talk about it in song Uh, you can talk about it uh, just with your voice but but worship is recognizing that God is worthy and when you see God as glorious you will see him as worthy and worship will pour forth from your mouth because you're never going to be disappointed at the amount of glory in God you're never going to say, "Well, it's glorious," but I don't know if it makes me want to worship Him. To see God's glory, to tr- when you truly see how glorious God is, worship will be pulled from our lips. That's why I said in, in Psalm 29 and in First Chronicles 16; those these two other passages that, that parallel this. What does it talk about? It talks about uh, the the that. Glory and worship go together. So Psalm 29, 1 and 2, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. First Chronicles 16, 28 and 29. Again, people are coming back into the land. Uh, back to the task of, of God's people in, in his land. And what does it say? Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The glory, glory cannot just sit on a shelf. If we think God is truly glorious, then we will praise him for his glory. Particularly God is worshiped here for what? For his splendor? For his beauty? But what attribute does it say is most splendid of the Lord? Whether it's Psalm 96 or Psalm 29 or, or First Chronicles. What splendid, beautiful attribute of God pulls forth our worship? His holiness. The splendor. It says of his holiness, his his, holiness just means his, his otherness, that God is set apart, that he is different, that he is not like us, specifically that he is not like us in terms of being stained by any sort of sin. There's a perfection involved in that, that there is nothing and no one like our God. And his holiness is beautiful. When we see God as holy, we will see him as beautiful as the splendor of his holiness, the magnificence of it, and it will draw us to worship him. For the Christian, the, the splendor of his holiness, the holiness of God is a beautiful thing. It's a, such a beautiful thing, such a splendid, bright thing that it throws us on our faces where we cry out, you know, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I mean, that's the, the cry. We, we, go, we go, Lord, take my life and consecrate it, make it holy, set it apart for you because you, there's nothing and no one like you because when we see God, and we see his holiness and we see his glory, everything else in our life will by comparison suddenly become dull. Less valuable, less, less splendid, less beautiful when compared to him. So the, Christian cries out you and you alone God are worthy of worship to give God glory is to say that you and you alone are worth my life you are worthy because you are glorious and the Lord also tells us what type of worship to bring him in this how do we worship him in his glory what did he say at the end of verse 8 bring an offering and come into his courts worship begins with a sacrifice with an, with an offering this has been part of what the lord has done just through the history of his time with his people sacrifice is an act of worship it is a recognition that you are inglorious and that your presence uh, in that place your presence there is not deserved it is a sacrifice is an admission of of unholiness before entering a holy presence where you're going to see a very holy God so when we bring God glory there is a a corollary understanding with it a secondary understanding uh, and confession that we are not We are so inglorious that what we deserve is not praise. What we deserve is death. And so we bring an offering. We bring a sacrifice before we enter that holy presence. And that offering, it says, would, would make you pleasing to the Lord. The, the smell of the, the blood of the animal would cover the, the smell of the sinful you as you enter his presence. Of course, what do we know? That since the perfect sacrifice has been offered in Christ... I don't say, all right, guys, the Lord says we're supposed to bring an offering when we come into His court. So next week, I mean, I need you guys to go to the local ag building uh, and find you a sheep or a bull if you don't have the money and get some doves. Uh, I don't want you, I don't, don't be bringing a grain just every week. Now, uh, we we don't do that. We know, uh, that, that Christ has offered a perfect sacrifice. So, so we don't have to do that anymore. We can approach the throne of grace now with confidence. We we don't cower, but not because of our glory, but because of the great glory of Christ in us. But that doesn't mean the idea of sacrifice is fully gone for the people of God. Just like in Leviticus, God still tells us what type of sacrifices he wants from his people. So you like Hebrews 13. He, Hebrews is a great place to go, right? Because Hebrews is, is why we know we don't have to do sacrifices anymore. But that doesn't mean that worship doesn't involve sacrifice. or that God doesn't call for his people to show his glory through some form of sacrifice. He does. It's just that the sacrifice is different. But but even after Christ, God still calls His people to worship Him through sacrifice. We know, I mean, passage we all know, Romans chapter twelve verse one, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or spiritual or I, I think better logical service through the work of Christ, which remember. Paul has just been talking about in Romans 1 through 11, the great work of Christ on behalf to save us. Our lives are now acceptable to God. Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of this. So what do we do with them? If the great sacrifice has been done, so what do you do? The Romans chapter 12, sacrifice. Uh, but so God has done this in our lives. So what do we do? We sacrifice our lives. He says that's just reasonable. In fact, he says, it is the only reasonable, which I think is a better word than spiritual. Uh, it's not your normal word for spiritual. It's logical. Uh, it is your reasonable worship or your reasonable service. In other words, God has done all this, so it just makes sense for you to sacrifice your life. In fact, this idea of sacrifice is, is part of, God, of Christ's continued work in his people. We saw it in First Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is again why understanding the, the purpose of the Old Testament is so important. The, the, the pictures of the Old Testament were shadows. They were shadows Fulfilled in Christ, but then also retold in us. Take for example the temple. What is the temple in the Bible? Well, the temple is the temple, right? I mean, you, you just it is there was a real temple. When you're reading about it in the Old Testament, you don't go, "Yeah, see that temple? That's really just Jesus there." Uh, and then you're like, "People entered the Jesus? Like I don't. I mean, so the temple in the Bible is the temple. But what is it also? The, the temple is. Christ. But then the Bible doesn't get rid of temple talk, does it, in the New Testament? Because then Paul comes and says, who is the temple? You are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who's living in you. Jesus is, if you were to think of the picture, you can think of Jesus kind of like a sundial. Jesus is this sundial that is casting shadows forward in the Old Testament and then backwards in in the New Testament. So, in the Old Testament, the people brought sacrifices to God, sheep, goats, bulls, grain. Those were all shadows of the sacrifice that would actually make them holy, Jesus. But the sacrifices didn't end. They just point to a greater purpose, Jesus. And then in him, us. The sacrifice that we give is not sheep and, and bulls and goats. The sacrifice we give is our lives. I mean, who were the Old Testament sacrifices? Sheeps and goats, but they were pointing to Christ, but those, those sacrifices were also pointing to us, our lives in Christ. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you know, drop the, the sacrifice talk, Jesus fulfilled it. In fact, right after saying, hey, the sacrifice has been fulfilled in Christ, it says, okay, let's talk about how that sacrifice now turns you into sacrifices. And that's where we get in Hebrews 13. Look at what it says. So after all this about, you know, uh, how there's no need to go back to the sacrificial system. What does the author of Hebrews say? Oh yeah, by the way, here's the sacrifice God wants from you. You're like, what? You just said we don't need to do sacrifices anymore. And he's like, keep reading, right? Because what does he say? What type of sacrifices does God call for if he is indeed glorious? Look at Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. Through him then right? So this is all through Christ. This is all because of the great sacrifice that Christ has done. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So through Jesus, sacrifices don't end. We still offer up a sacrifice, but what sacrifice does God want from his people? Whether it's Romans 12 or 1 Peter 2 or here, what does that look like? Us, our lives. And and, and Hebrews is kind to tell us, not just in general terms like it does in 1 Peter or in Romans, just give up your life. He tells us what that looks like. and, And what two things does he mention in Hebrews 13? The first thing he mentions is lips that acknowledge his name. So if you and I are supposed to be sacrifices, if we worship God by sacrificing our life, by laying down our life, what does that look like? One is to have lips that acknowledge his name. God, in other words, God doesn't want his praise just stuck in your heart, right? I mean, in my heart, God is really holy. Have you told anybody about that? No, but it's really big in my heart right now. Like, that's just not, I mean, that's just not the picture that God paints of glory. And there are other very not glorious things that you can't help but talk about, right? You'll be in conversations where you're like, I really want to talk about God more. Uh, And yet you just talk about all these other things all the time. And you're like, rats, I missed it. Uh, So it's not like, it's not like other things that we think are great. We have trouble talking about them. Um, If we see God as glorious, what we'll do is give the sacrifice of lips, that acknowledge his name, a sacrifice of praise given on our lips, lips that confess that he is worthy of our worship. In fact, God has always said that when he saves us, this is one of the fruits of salvation, that God works these lips in us when we're saved. In other words, that if God has truly saved you, that glory will well up in you and spill from your lips. So Isaiah 57, 18 and 19 says this. You know, all the way back in Isaiah, right? I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. So the Lord creates in us, the Lord is the one who creates the fruit of our lips. That caused our lips to spill forth praise to him, to cry peace to those far and near and healing. So God calls for glory through our lips, that glory is to be given out loud. There's no such thing as secretly thinking God is great. There's no such thing as going, I've got this secret glory of God that is really good. I haven't talked to anybody about it, but it's really awesome. God's probably really happy with it. If if we think God is glorious, if we're going to glorify God with our lives, it will come out of our lips. It can't not happen. But what else did he mention in Hebrews 13? Look at verse 16. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, do good to one another. So what sort of sacrifice is God looking for? He says here, share what you have. Sacrifice your own for the sake of your brothers and sisters. And I think neither of these are surprising, right? Whether it's our lips uh, or the sacrifice of of what we have, of giving them uh, and and sharing with one another. I, I think you see in those two things, the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So so it's not surprising that those would be the two ways that we continue to offer sacrifice to the Lord. But God's glory does demand our sacrifice, the sacrifice of ourselves, mirroring that life of Christ, pointing back to what he did with lips that confess his glory and with lives laid down for one another. Those are sacrifices that are pleasing to God. So how do we glorify God in worship by being so moved by his glory? that we worship him with our lips and with our lives. To to give God glory in our worship is to be so moved by his glory that we worship him with our lips and with our lives. And the last thing we see in verse 9 is that worship or glory kills pride. Glory kills pride. Look at verse nine. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now we we know that the word worship in the Hebrew literally means just get low. Get low. That when we see how great God is, how high and lifted up he is, how wonderful he is, we will also see how we are not those things. We will lower ourselves in God's presence. No one, uh, I mean, it's even when they see angels, right? Even when they see angels, they're like, and get down. Uh, No one is like, Standing on their tiptoes, trying to see if they're taller than the angels. You know, like, well, really, angel? I think Jacob may be close, but but uh, they'd be the only one. uh So so when we see the Lord, what happens is we worship. We literally get low. When we see God's splendor, we cannot help but lo- notice our lack of splendor. It's like when you feel suddenly grossly underdressed, right? Okay, one of the worst things as a as a preacher is when you go to do a wedding or you're going somewhere and you forgot to ask them what everyone was wearing. So you don't know if you're going to be the pastor who shows up like everyone in jeans and you come in in like a suit uh, or that everyone's going to be in a suit and you're going to come in in jeans and a, you know, a cut up t-shirt. Not that I'm just kidding about the cut up t-shirt. But that feeling of being grossly underdressed is something we all fear. There's a reason people talk about, you know, dreams where you're just in public and you're caught in your underwear. Right She's like, "Oh no. Like that's the idea here, is that you and I are when we see the glory of God, we suddenly realize how we are not very glorious. When we see God's splendor and His beauty, we see that we're not. It'd be like if you were standing all of a sudden next to a, a Hollywood movie star or a supermodel, and you're going to be like, oh, that is one very pretty woman." Uh, and I see why people think that about her, uh, and not about me because I'm not a woman, one, uh, those sorts of things. That's what happens when we see the Lord and his glory. We realize that we are not that. And so we lower ourselves in his presence. We get low and there's some fear in that. What does it say? Tremble before him. The, The before him literally means in front of his face or to his face. Like the idea is you see God face to face and you can't help but do what? Tremble. We see a picture of this in Isaiah 6. This is a passage I think we all think of when we think of being in the presence of the Lord and it causing us to tremble. Now, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5, In the year uh, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full or will be full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook but the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, what? He doesn't even say like it did in Psalm 29. He doesn't even say glory. What did he say? Woe is me. Woe! in other words, I'm going to die and I'm dead now. For I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts that when you and I begin to see God for who he is, and as, as in here in Isaiah, honestly, when we see just a fraction of who he is, just his feet and the train of his rope, we cannot help but be humbled to the point of death. Fearful that, that someone as unholy as we are stands before a God whose holiness is vast. And and, this was, and think about it. This is Isaiah. This was a righteous man. This was a, this was a blameless man, as far as we know. A, a, a prophet who had received great grace. This isn't some schlub that they pulled out of the Jerusalem gutter. And yet, even righteous Isaiah, his sources say, I should die for what I've seen. Because he is what? Because he is holy. When you and I see God as glorious, it will breed the humility of praise. Where we will say too long, I've praised myself with my life, but now I see what is really worth my life and my praise. And it ain't me. So how do we glorify God? By giving him the glory that we are often tempted to give ourselves bringing ourselves low and trembling in the face of someone who is so glorious. And that's what these people are supposed to see. They are not glorious. God is full of glory. So let's put all of these together. What does it mean if we are a people are to glorify God with our lives, if that is our chief And how does Scripture, uh, particularly Psalm 96, Psalm 29, uh, 1 Chronicles 16, how does that, how does Scripture tell us to do that? Well, we glorify God when we recognize His great value and honor. We glorify God by living for His glory as the purpose of our life. We glorify God by praising him for who he is and what he has done. We glorify God by marveling at the strength of his power on behalf of his people. Seen ultimately in his word. We glorify God by giving him what he deserves. By proclaiming that his praise has been earned and is due. We glorify God. By worshiping him with our lips and with our lives. And we glorify God by giving him the glory that we are tempted to give ourselves. That's your job. That's your purpose. That's what your life is supposed to be about. So many people in this world looking for reasons for living. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And how do I do it? Even as Christians asking, what is, God, what is God's will for my life? And we think it's so many multitudinous ways about this job choice or that job choice or this over here or that over there. And we're so afraid we're going to somehow get out of God's will and him like some sort of evil taskmaster. Go, ha, you ruined it, smash. But here it is. Here's what God wants you to spend your life doing. And if you do this, this will cover every other area of your life. It will impact everything that you do. It will impact how you are in your marriage. It will impact how you are as a parent. It will impact how you are at your job. It will impact how you choose a job. It will impact how you are at church. It will impact the type of friend that you are. It will impact how you eat and how you drink. It will impact everything because this will be your life. So as you look at it, And as we look at these passages that we've read, that's the question. Is that your life? Is this what you've been spending your life doing? Because it's supposed to be. For every one of us, those things, that's what we're supposed to give our life to. This is what we're supposed to burn up doing. This is what we're supposed to get tired of. We spend our days and our energy doing this and this and this. This is what it's all about. Is this what it's been all about for you? If it hasn't, let it begin to be. See God in his glory and you will not be able to help but glorify him. To give him your life because he alone is worthy. Let's pray. as we bow our heads let's just take a moment each of us individually to just give god glory right i mean this whole thing's been about glorifying the lord so let's give him that glory let's lift him up let's praise him and if you have if, if these things haven't defined your life what, what you know, what, what, part, what part is it? Has he not been your purpose? Is, if you haven't been thinking about all the work that he's done on, on your behalf? Have you, do you have days that you just don't think about him? Days where he's not on your lips? You've not been giving up your life as a sacrifice? Every word off of my mouth, and, and I'll lay down everything that I have for, for my brothers and sisters. What is it? You've been living for something else instead of him. If you have, kill that thing. Start living for him. Start living for his glory. He's worth it. You will never be disappointed. Never be disappointed when you quit giving glory to something that is worthless and start giving glory to something that is worthy. No one at the end of their life gives glory to God and looks back and says, I wasted it, but there are plenty of people who look back on this brief vapor of a life and as they're dying, think, I wish I would have lived differently. Don't be that person, and the only way you can keep from being that person isn't to find a new hobby isn't to find a better job isn't to do this or that the only way you keep from that being your thought is when this is your life the glory of god and the great thing the great thing about him is if we see his glory if we see him for who he is worship and praise and glorification will pour easily from our lives so christians if you're having trouble worshiping the lord if you're having trouble living for his glory you know what you need to do get in his word see how glorious he is Delve deep into the glory of God until he is so glorious that you cannot help but tremble even as you flip the pages. And Peter comes and says, we're to give all of that glory, not just to the father, but to the son. In fact, the God who said, do not give my glory to another who will not allow some worthless thing to steal his worth, that same God comes and says, Jesus is worthy. He demands us to give that glory to Christ. You want to see the glory of the Father? Look to Christ. Father, we come to you today, you. And the only reason we can, the idea, Father, that we think that our words should even come out of our mouths and go to you is only because of the work that you've done in our life. There is no way that if we knew truly who you were and who we are, that we would ever even open our mouths. Father, we would try to hide under a rock as far as we could. To avoid your gaze. The fact that we even want to pray to you. Is an aspect of what you've done in our lives to change us. To make us new. And to spill glory from our lips. From what used to be just a cistern of death. A sepulcher. And now, Father, for your praise and prayers to spill from our lips is a sign of just how glorious you are, that you have have changed us. You have made us new all through the work of your Son. God, you are glorious, you are worthy. And Father, I pray that every one of us would be giving our lives to you, that your glory would shine in everything that we do, that it is not so much about, all right, this is what I want to do. Now, how do I do that for God's glory? But if our eyes are on your glory, it will, it will recolor everything that we do. We will not be able to help but do everything differently because of that glory that fills every area of our vision. So, God, may we see your glory and may that change us. May it set us on the path for which our life was created, which is to give you glory. May we lay down our lives to you. May we be those living sacrifices pointing back to the great sacrifice of Christ. The one who has has opened the way to you. Father, you are glorious. We don't need to convince you of that. We don't need to make up any of that, Father. We just need to start seeing it for what it is, seeing you for who you are. To stop pretending that anything else in this world is worth our time. When compared with you. And we have hobbies. And we have activities. And we have wants. That we have lied and lied and lied about. And sacrificed time with you on their behalf. No more father. For they are as you warn. Worthless things. And you, Father, alone are worthy of our praise, worthy of our lives. May we give them to you, for that is what you created us to do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.